The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. Welcome once again to It Came From the Radio, the official Leapback Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking with me via virtual team. Being virtually distance, of course, we have none other well than done. L-Man well Jenny Felby. Good day, good evening, good morning, wherever it is for you. Good everything. And we have our man who used to be on the inside, Asan Godwin. Yeah, I'm no longer in the inside. I don't, I don't know where I am right now. I can't even see myself. Are your insides <laughs> on the outside? My insides are all on the outside right now. <laughs> This is actually so, a Scream radio play, not the radio show. So on this week's show, we're going uh, to have another Jay Burnley segment. Um, Chris nice. Wolvesley's Chris Picks for Redbox is another segment we're going to have. And Emma and Jenny Feldy interviews author A.A. Rubin. Before we do any of that, we have to take it away with the news. It's more than time! The news is for you, in part by the fine folks of sci-fi.radio. That's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. As well as the fine folks of the Big Apple Con, which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 27, eight years of comic book news and pop culture stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. The next convention is scheduled for the 25th and 26th of March, which is this weekend, for you guys listening on the air. And uh, we want to give a shout-out to our Patreons, of which there are. Danny Grill, award-winning director Jared Burrell, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday, Famous Dresden Media, Unjikun, Shadow Rabbit Art, Yasmin Array, Rosa, and The Huracan. You want to have your own little shout-out, go to our website, www.camfrod.com. Little button on there takes you right to our Patreon page, just for a dollar a month. You can get a uh, shout-out on our show. As always, we start off with the sad news, so let's start off with that. Actor, fantastic, fantastic. Actor, writer, <laughs> director, and singer, Gordon Edward Pinsett died recently in his sleep. While appearing in a slew of movies and TV series, I, Mark, know him best as Robert Frazier, which is Benton's dad, in one of my favorite TV series of all time, Due South. Uh, for the most part, he played a ghost helping his son at times throughout the series. Uh, he was 92. Uh, Elman Jane oh, Philly, Due South, yes, no? I often do think of a ghost helping me out at times, so that I can relate to, but pass on the rest. Uh, Hassan, you watched uh, ever watched? Due South? I know Due South, but I've never watched it. No. Yes, yeah, so, unfortunately, um, I, 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 that was like one of my top shows of all time. I love that show so much, oh. and it brought a tear to my eye when it ended. So you know, it's kind of sad that. Oh. I, you know, Did you cry when you found out that the, this uh, this person has passed on? No, it was just it was ah, it was oh. one of those ah. He said just one tear, not yeah, two. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, okay, uh, fair enough. He was ninety-two. So following on for some more sad news. Animator, director, producer, and story artist Burnett Bernie Madison also died recently following a, quote, short illness. In his career that spanned over 70, almost 70 years, Bernie worked on such Disney films as Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, Sword in the Stone, Mary Poppins, The Jungle Book, The Original, The Aristocats, Bedroom, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, uh, Robin Hood, The Rescuers, Pete's Dragon, The Fox and the Hound, Mickey's Christmas Carol, The Black Cauldron, The Great Mouse Detective, which I've never seen, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, Mulan, and Big Serial Six, just name a few. Uh, oh, he, so not many. 
very, <laughs> very short career, basically. Right? Yeah, just just a few. Yeah, and okay. Almost seventy years. Yeah. yeah. So it's too bad that they, you know that he that he he went so soon without <laughs> without leaving us an indelible mark on the industry. But oh well. Well, you I know you were a fan of uh, Disney there, uh, Elman Jenny Kelly, right? Oh, I'm a huge Disney fan. Yeah. When, no, were you? I, I distinctly remember you saying as a kid you used to watch a lot of Disney stuff. Or am I wrong in that memory? I think you're wrong. <laughs> I think you're wrong. I think it's kind of like earlier when I said I came up with the idea of you doing a radio play and you said, no, that wasn't my idea. This is also the same thing. Oh, I, oh, I never really was into Disney, but I liked a few Disney hey, things here and there because I'm not a total edgelord. That stuff was behind the scenes discussions. We should Hey, I put the behind the scenes. Right that was in the, the green space. room. The we talked all about outside. that in the green room. <laughs> Insights on exactly. the outside. That's the theme of the so, show. Insights on the outside. Moving on for the last bit of sad news. Um, actor, director, producer, screenwriter, and stuntman Riku Browning also died recently. As of this recording, no call to death. It's not good announced. to be in the, the, the in the entertainment industry, apparently, according to this stuff. <laughs> While working on a handful of movies and TV shows, Riku, R-I-C-O-U, I know I'm pronouncing it wrong, was perhaps best known for The Creature in the Creature Trilogy, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Revenge of the Creature, and The Creature Walks Among Us. Uh, while The Creature was played by different actors, on all the land scenes in the three movies, anything underwater was Rico inside the suit. So he was an underwater actor. Uh, he's done a lot of underwater filming and stunts for many movies in addition to uh, uh, Talk that, about but, a niche. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> talk about carving your niche. Um, our, our, our very own Herman Shemsonertia loved The Creature from the Black Moon. That was his movie, and it's, uh, it's crazy that after all these years, a guy passed away. Um, I think he's one of the surviving members of uh, that, that, that movie. Oh, he was nice. Yeah, I was well, just you, thinking that. You do pass away after a few years, though. I mean, you know, that is that is kind of how it works. You get older, and then you just kind of pass on. So it's not it's not all that outrageous that it happens. Well, some people ascend. <laughs> yes, and yes. they live on forever. <laughs> yeah, but that's rare. I know, like one guy who did that. So if you believe hard enough, then <laughs> yes, you make it if you clap, if you clap, the fairies will come back. You know. All right, so I'm going to do a segue here, an unscripted segue. Sure. Um, when I was a kid, I went to see a play. Wait, Peter unscripted? Pan. As though we're scripted? <laughs> so the rest well, of I have the news scripted. in front of me, and this is oh, not okay, my part you. of it. So, but because you mentioned that. So when I was a kid, I went to see a play of um, Peter Pan. And it was a really crappy play because us as little kids expected the Peter Pan to fly in the audience, in, you know, in the auditorium. But this one didn't fly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then when um, Tinkerbell died, you're supposed to clap. And, yes. you know, the supposed to come back. But yes. it was, the play was so bad, none of the kids in the audience, myself included, clapped. Oh, man. So it was kind of sad that the actor, now that I realized it, it was like, they still had to continue on. It's like, we love your class. Like, nobody's clapping. What, what happened here? So, <laughs> oh, yes. You didn't want to bring Tinkerbell back so, to life. Yes. Yeah, so back you then. You have to clap to bring Tinkerbell back to life? I didn't know this. You never, yeah. you, you no. didn't you know the no. play? That, okay. No. Yeah, see, Tinkerbell. Drinks because I poison. Didn't watch Disney and stuff. Captain, Unlike Mark's memory, Captain Hook leaves poison. Well, it's not. It's not specifically Disney, but anyway. But Captain Hook leaves poison for Peter Pan, and Tinkerbell right? takes it before he can. And so she, oh, wow. she, you know, she falls out. And then the the trick is in the play is to get the audience to clap, and that'll bring Tinkerbell back to life. That will cure the the the, the right. poison that she. Yeah, drank. this is new to me. Yeah, that's so. that's a big part of the play. So yeah, 
we didn't clap. So there you go. Yeah. So that's <laughs> a sad news. It's a terrible story. You're all a bunch of rotten kids. That's what it was. You know, I wonder if that actress is like, oh, all these years <laughs> later, oh, that group of kids. Those damn kids. <laughs> Why did you clap? What's wrong with you? Well, I, I told because you because the play was, was crappy. Was oh, as a, as a, it was as just a, bad? As a kid. Know what they're doing? As a kid, we were not impressed by this performance that we <laughs> oh, went to see. Oh, you were not impressed? That's why? Yeah, because like I said, the kid was, he was supposed to be flying around on wires and stuff in the oh. play. And there was no wires. He just, he just, he just stood there. And it was sad. Well, how low was the ceiling? You know, there might have been safety reasons. <laughs> well, we were kids. Everything looked huge. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Too much for a, a room of kids to expect a woman to fly over your heads. I feel like you guys are asking for too much because I never expected that. And if anything were to be like that, I'd just be flabbergasted. Thankful. Yeah. We you, you, you find out that Peter Pan was was actually a girl. That's that's well, the yeah. thing that got. Wait, what? Like, yeah. Because every every Peter Pan on Broadway has been a woman. Has been played by a woman. Sandy Duncan. Oh. Starting with Sandy Duncan. Well, I don't know that's if she. Weird. I don't know if she's the first one, but she was probably one of the most fam- famous ones. Right. Sandy Duncan was it. So yeah, because this I don't know because was of, no Sandy Duncan. <laughs> Say that again. This actress was no Sandy Duncan. Oh, okay. See, well, <laughs> wow. she she also was no Peter Pan because she couldn't even fly. So oh, there wow. you go. Uh, all right, so we, we have. I really do on. have Peter Pan syndrome. Okay, continue. Yeah, maybe so. Okay. We got to we got to move oh, on. That's thank something you guys. to be proud of. Don't don't be proud of that. I'm proud of it. <laughs> all right, let's let's see. We have limited time left. Let me go for. Oh, oh we ruined it. We ruined everything. <laughs> All yeah, right, you went me, off script. Yes, we, we went way <laughs> off script. So now we got to... All right, let me do this. Yeah, reel it back in. Reel it back in, Mark. From the... Uh-oh. What else do we have left to reboot department? Mm. None other than Mattel has announced that Barney, the purple dinosaur, is coming back in a new animated show. The series is set to debut in 2024 and will, quote, introduce new audiences to the world of Barney through music-filled adventures centered on love, community, and encouragement. Executives say, <clears throat> Barney's message of love and kindness has stood the test of time. We will tap into the nostalgia of generations who grew up with Barney, now parents themselves, and introduce the iconic purple dinosaur to a new generation of kids and families around the world across the continent, products, and experiences. But that's not all. Mattel has also announced plans for the brand, which will include television, film, and YouTube content, as well as music and a a full range of kids' products, including toys, books, clothing, as well as 90s kids' apparels for adult fans featuring the original Barney are also in development. For those of you who don't know, or care for that matter, the original Barney's and Friends was created by Cheryl Leach, uh, first aired on PBS starting in 1992 and ran for 14 seasons. Hmm. That's not good. Were you a fan of Barney? Were you a fan back in the day? A Barney? Yeah. But, well, no. what have I been talking about the past five minutes? Barney. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm incredulous no, that you're Louis. asking me if I was a fan of Barney. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you there, man? Jenny Feldy, Barney fan? No, I was like nine years old, I feel like, when Barney came out. I don't know. Maybe I was of age, but I always felt like way too old to watch his Barney shenanigans. I'm like, what is this? You think I'm dumb? Like, what do you... I'm watching adult movies. I'm watching, like, vicious vampire movies when I'm two. Like, Barney. You don't go from vampire to Barney. It's like... It's called regression. I used to call him Grimace. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember there was like... I remember there was like one kid who looked too big to be on the show with all the other kids. Right. That's the only thing I remember about that show. You're alone. Like, you you remember way more than I do. 
That's I saw it was a funny. giant. I it was a giant purple, whatever that was. was dinosaur. It was a di- giant purple dinosaur, and I was like, "Dinosaur, I'm not, I'm not watching this. There's no way I'm watching this." <laughs> You're like, "What's that purple old lady doing? Yeah. It's a dinosaur, you idiot!" <laughs> That's like a no brainer. That was like the Teletubbies. It's like this is no brainer. I should not be watching this. I, right. Yeah, I want my eyes as far away from this as humanly possible. Yeah, so. I never watched that either. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So <laughs> moving on. From the, I'd buy that for a dollar. Department. How are we paying all these departments? I've, I've never asked you that. What's yeah, the, I feel like a Bloomingdale. Well, we Where's have, the accounting we, department? What well, do we, we have? <laughs> we have help from our patreons. Ah, okay. All right. Crowdfunding. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Good answer. Now um, I'll never have to ask that question again. Please continue. None other than Changzhou Vocational Institute of Mechatronic Technology have created. Really? (laughs) I tried so hard. I know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. They created a device that allows users to share real kisses with others over the internet. What? Apparently, it is, (laughs) quote, equipped with pressure centers, sensors, and actuators, unquote. Ah. And it is said to be able to mimic a real kiss by, quote, replicating the pressure movement and temperature of a user's lips unquote along with the kissing motion it can also transmit the sound the user makes users can also quote upload unquote their kisses on the app for others to download and experience to send a kiss users need to download a mobile phone app and plug the device into their phone's charging point after pairing with their partners in the app they can start a video and call and transmit transmit replicas of their smooches to each other. Jiang Zhangli, the lead inventor of the design, says, In my university, I was in a long-distance relationship with my girlfriend, so we only had contact with each other through the phone. That's where the inspiration of this device originated. Did he do air quotes when he said girlfriend? (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please continue. Um, How much do you think this device sells for Hassan Godwin, what do you got? Oh my god, like what? Seven thousand dollars. Something ridiculous. All right. Uh L Man Jenny Philly, what what do you got? What do you think? Thirty seven hundred. Thirty seven hundred dollars. Really? So for a measly forty one dollars US, you can have your own Really? uh, Really? For, I would put seven thousand. For very for little it. money at all, you can have a really creepy experience with your <laughs> no, phone. Hassan, Hassan probably thinks it's a worthwhile experience because you valued it seven thousand dollars. So someone might especially <laughs> want it. I didn't. Someone actually... must not have any quote girlfriends or real girlfriends. Let's correct this. <laughs> I didn't actually value it. I just figured it would Clearly be valued at that time. All right. Well. Yeah, because you're like seven thousand dollars. Like, I don't gotta justify myself to you, young lady. So <laughs> everything okay. is fine. So at the super Good. cheap price of forty one dollars. Right. Seven thousand forty one dollars. <laughs> I mean, the Chinese are always making stuff. I remember a Chinese man married a video game. I remember the Chinese really? guy. He invented. Yeah, he married a video game. It was China is a large place. It's probably very boring. You know, <laughs> there's probably a lot. There's a very little going on out there. And I remember, I'm sorry. I don't, I could be anywhere. I'm not marrying a video game. <laughs> I remember that this guy uh, created a uh, hot Scarlett Johansson uh, a fembot. That he also yeah. married. Hmm. What? 
Yeah. How do you how do you marry this? Like, who's marrying these people? A, a, a pastor. It's like a, a ceremony. I mean, in, in twenty a... minutes, in twenty minutes, Mark can become an ordained minister and marry anybody who oh, wants. Oh, I'm a reverend. So. I'll marry. Oh, but see, I don't think you, I would do it. You just <laughs> answered your own question. Who's married? So I could. Yeah, but I could marry an imaginary Scarlett Johansson to the guy if I wanted. Uh, apparently yeah, if so. Would, if you ordain yourself, you can do that. I don't know. I, I don't know like why I you'd want now. to, but I mean, you could do it. Nah, I feel like I got to draw the line. You know, it's like with these like 47 genders, like I'll agree to like six, but not like 47, you know? <laughs> six? Yeah, I'll give you six genders. I think that's pretty freaking <laughs> generous. All right. And I'm, but I'm, I'm going to draw the line at that. And I'm going to draw the line at marrying an inanimate object to anybody, you know? But there's a video game, a beloved video game character. No, you got to draw the line. I got to enforce it, you know? Okay, and yeah. all right. I'm, you know what? I'm going to take the bite because we have two minutes to go. Mm-mm. How would you enforce this? <laughs> um, how would I enforce it? Well, I'd become the leader of several countries, and then after wow. I'm the leader of several countries, then I would enforce this rule that you can't is that play all? a video game. <laughs> is that all you do? Is take that's over several do. countries? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Okay. That's all. So we're almost out of time. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. How does it, where does the time go? Where does it go? That's what I want to know. I just want everyone to dream big. <laughs> Son Godwin, do you have a final thought for our new segment? Oh, man. I, I'm really just, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping these aren't my final thoughts. That's all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> man, Jenny Feldy, do you have any final thoughts for our new segment? Here's my final thought. Oh, boy. I think I've said enough. And if you've missed anything, then just replay the episode. All right, so with that, we're going to take our break, and we'll be right back. Came from the radio. Will we? Back at your penny. Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. Neural net processor is linked to sci-fi.radio, the sci-fi for my Wi-Fi. The more I listen, the more I learn. Now, back to our show. This is Jaybird and Lee, and we're here to talk about movies, music, TV, and what's going on in our part of the world. Today we're going to talk about Ant-Man... Ant-Man, yes. Quantumania. Well, I didn't know what the yeah. second part of <laughs> Third movie. The third movie, Quantumania. We've seen every Ant-Man in the theater, I yeah. think. Yeah. Honestly, though, it's, yeah. A good, it's a good one to see. The, same with Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Did we see that? Did we see the first one in the theater? Mm, Never mind. No, uh, I, I think, think we've so. seen the second one. We've seen most of the Spider-Mans in the theater. The, mm. the new Spider-Man. Yeah, I think we did. I would say, I think the first and, and second Ant-Man were better. You think the first and second Ant Man were better? See, I like the, the first. I like the first. Yeah, the first was good. I didn't really like the second one. I didn't like the second. What one. What was on about the again? The first one was good. Which one? That was, was Ant Man and Wasp. When they oh and oh yeah, that was bad. Yeah, it was. I like, realized. Yeah, I forgot which the first one. one oh, I love that. Just one. yeah, that was good. He was funny in that, and, yeah. and especially that other guy that like had the van and stuff and bailed mm-hmm. him right. Oh yeah, yeah no, that, was, that was that was a really good. Too yeah. bad he was missing from this film, you know. Um, yeah. But I think Quantum Mania is like part of the next. It's of course part of the next phase of all the Avenger movies, and yeah, you know, I would say um, Kang then, right is the bad guy. The yeah. King, the Conqueror. It seems like they're all going towards a multiverse type of 
Well, yeah, like like Loki became multiverse. Right, Doctor Strange was multiverse. Yes. Right, yeah. so here's another multiverse thing. And wait, Spider-Man. Spider-Man was multiverse, yeah. and I think that's really what's happening. It's all these timelines. And, and I think Guardians of the Galaxy is going to. Mm, no, no. I, I think so. Maybe the new one, because but not the other two. Aren't they going and saving a bunch of... Yeah, but they're doing, like, hyperspace or something weird from, like, Star they're Wars. They're always in hyperspace, man. <laughs> yeah, like they, yeah, but they save other planets. It's not like they're going in the multiverse, because that's a lot of people to save. Well, I guess we'll find out, right? We don't know what they're doing with the Guardians, but you want to go to see that movie? Yeah, I definitely want to see that. When I saw the trailer, it was funny. Yeah? Do you think it would be funny if you went on that ride again at Epcot Center? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. That was was so cool. That was awesome. I couldn't talk after that for like 30 minutes. You were like depressed. You were like so scared or something. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I think my brain Traumatized from a ride. That's right. That was one of the best rides ever. Oh, my God, it was amazing. No. It was incredible. It was the smoothest roller coaster ride I've ever been on. No, that was kind of... That was worse than El Toro. I'm just glad I took off my glasses. Yeah. Before we went everywhere. Right. Well, the minute that we started moving fast, Julie took her glasses off. And I was like, nope. <laughs> so I was debating, and then it started going fast, and I was like, oh. I don't talk on roller coasters really. I just like hold on as tight as I can and just keep my mouth shut. Yeah, and then you just get scared the whole time. <laughs> you didn't scream? I mean, I feel no, like that was we mom. screamed. Mom. Oh, yeah, mom, mom screamed. screamed. She was like crying at the end of that one. Yeah, oh, yeah. You we were having an awesome time. I was looking back you at were you screaming. And we're like, yeah! You were screaming because you were so happy. Mom was screaming because she wanted she to get so off. She was so sad. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's so funny. What, um, all right, so let's go back to Ant-Man Quantum Mania. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. I totally forgot about that. So did you like, um, so did you like the movie, I guess? Eh. It was okay. It felt like a knock, knock off of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. There was a lot of Star Wars. Yeah, because, yeah. Because there were a bunch of different, like, and there's a lot of army people type things, and there was a, and yeah, there was armies yeah, like, that army. were sort of arranged in a clone. Yeah. In a fashion. Clone Wars kind of thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think like the, the thing is, like with comic books, there's always like these wars, and there's always like lots of aliens and things like that, depending on who your comic book hero is at the moment. You yeah, know? but like this one, they were even like almost knock knockoffs of Ewoks. Like, well, remember how they there were people that had uh, I, um the brown cloak almost and then there was oh, a dark face yeah and mm. i mean even them when they walked in there they had hoods on and they were like oh we can't Kinda be Jedi, seen like, like yeah exactly yeah. yeah like we have to be discreet well i guess there's just like how else are you going to be discreet in these films you know it's kind of hard you can only like mask up so much yeah but i mean it just seemed very much like star wars all right, yeah. I mean, a good chunk of it was Star Wars like, but I think a lot of it was also the realm was pretty cool, you know. And, yeah. You know, did you like that? Yeah, it was good, but I wish it was more Star Warsy. What do you mean more Star Warsy? It was an adventure film. Yeah, but if they like, they pretty much did it like Star Wars, like a little bit, because like the army and like what Julie said about the cloaks that they were kind of like Is Jedi. Marvel so. linked with Star Wars? No, 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 no. No, they're all no. Disney. Because technically Disney. Disney Plus. They're all well, Disney Plus. Well, whatever. Disney. Whatever. <laughs> it's all Disney. And so, it's just, it, you might have similar. Do... You might have similar writers crossing yeah. over, you know? <clears throat> well, yeah. But it's not It's not that they're linking the universes. It's just that they're. Well, you know, but I don't think no, Lucas would like, like that. I'm not Lucas surprised. Lucas doesn't matter anymore. He sold it all. He did? What? Yeah, you didn't know that? No. Yes. Why do you sell it? Because he, he made lots and lots of money. 
He's annoying. Well, he didn't. He, I mean, he's like in his seventies, eighties. He doesn't. So he's still right. Though I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if uh, there's overlapping just in the shows the itself, though. Like, Imagine. No, I don't mean like overlapping as in oh, Anakin meets I don't know Ant Man. Like I wasn't not like that. I mean like. Yeah. Just their shows have parallels. Like, I wouldn't be Yeah, I mean, I think surprised. there's definitely parallel stuff. I mean, you can only do so much until, like, it starts to be kind of repetitive a little bit. And if you notice, most of those movies are starting to become repetitive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are, definitely. So, anyway. Um, did you like the movie? Yeah, it was okay. Okay. All right, so... Good movie to watch in the theater, though. Good yeah, family I thought it was good. I liked Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. I thought that was fine, you know? Yeah. I, I think it was a good movie. I mean, he's always good as Ant-Man. It was good. It was entertaining. Yeah. All, All right. right. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay connected. Bye. Hey, guys. This is Christy from Custom Cakes by Christy. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm keeping my private kitchen open for any needs your family may have. I've been focusing on bread, soups, muffins, quiches, and other basics, but I'm still accepting dessert orders as well. Please follow my Facebook for immediate pickup items. Private message me for custom orders. Custom Cakes by Christy, I-N-C, K-R-I-S-T-Y. Text me at 631-606-8166. Now, back to our show. Hey, it came from the radio fans. It's Chris Woolsey, the king of streaming, here to give you Chris's picks for what is hot on Redbox this month. Well, we have got a ton of great romance titles for you, a, a bunch of rom-coms, and you know, because you can see rom-coms anywhere, we like to give you a little bit of the unconventional titles in the rom-com world. We have one of my favorites, uh, Lars and the Real Girls, starring Ryan Gosling, and Paul Schneider, uh, just a phenomenal film. Um, this is this is really the movie that showed me what an incredible actor Ryan Gosling is, and um, it is really unconventional. It's uh, about Ryan Gosling falling in love with an inanimate object, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, I will tell you, it is one of my favorite of his movies, and. Um, you got to check it out. It is just, it's spectacular, it's hilarious, and it's really a heartwarming film, um, albeit a strange one. Uh, but a great movie, um, a, a fantastic um, way to celebrate uh, the romantic season. We also have um, another uh, interesting pick in the rom-com world, and that is some Kind of Beautiful, starring Pierce Brosnan, Selma Hayek, and Jessica Alba. Um, this is a hilarious uh, rom-com. Um, Pierce Brosnan plays this um, sort of man about town, ladies' man. He's the, the hot British professor. Uh, falls in love with Jessica Alba. They have a baby. She takes off on him. Ends up that uh, she is sisters with Selma Hayek. And um, an interesting kind of love triangle forms uh, with the three. Uh, you've got to check it out. Pierce Brosnan is ridiculously charming as always. And Jessica Alba and Selma Hayek are gorgeous and hilarious. And it is, it's a hidden gem. Uh, so really got to check that one out. Now, 
We're also in the midst of uh, quite a bit of sports going on right now, and I would highly recommend checking out all the football titles that we have on Redbox this month. We've got some great ones. We have uh, Touchback, starring Kurt Russell. Um, This is a great film. It's also kind of a little strange. Um, It's a story of a high school quarterback who, in the biggest game of his career, splinters his leg and ends his drive to uh, the professional NFL. Now, uh, cut to 20 years later, he is uh, a a farmer in a desperate situation, battling to to keep his farm um, from uh, bankruptcy, and decides that he is better off dead than alive. And so um, decides to take his own life. And in the process of that, he's actually taken back in time to the the week of the big game in high school where he can now make different decisions so that his life might end up in a very different place. But uh, this is kind of like uh, The Longest Yard meets It's a Wonderful Life. And um, like that movie, he learns that the world may not have been better off uh, with him not being in it. So it, it is a another heartwarming film, but it is a um, really fantastic uh, movie. Check it out. Now, one of my favorites, the great thing about Redbox is their programming team is constantly digging up these hidden gems. And one of them is the 60-yard line. Hilarious independent film about, it's based on a true story about a guy who buys a house that's like 50 feet outside of Lambeau Field because he is the Packers' greatest fan. And uh, he thinks that this is going to make his life complete. And instead, it kind of completely upends his life. So you've got to check out the 60-yard line. Fantastic film. You're going to laugh your way all the way through it. Uh, You can get all of these titles and way more uh, on the Redbox app. You can download that from your favorite app store for your mobile, your tablet, your connected TV, or you can just go to redbox.com and you can uh, watch everything there as well. So again, this is Chris, the king of streaming, and that is what is hot on Redbox this month. Thanks much. The Comic Book Depot has been in business since 1993. Your one-stop comic book shop for comics, gaming, and collectibles. The Comic Book Depot Club membership is $15 and gets you 15% off new comics, back issues, graphic novels, and 10% off comic book supplies. Located at 2847 Jerusalem Avenue in Wontaw, New York. Contact us on Facebook for curbside pickup because new comics are back. For more information, give Alan a call at 516-221-9337. The Comic Book Depot. Now, back to our show. What's up, Radioheads? You know I'm L-Man. I'm here with author A.A. Rubin and also uh, in spirit, Marika Brusianu, the illustrator of the book. Now, he wrote Into the Darkness with Marika, a book with this description. Peer into the darkness of midnight and the macabre with these 32 illustrated gothic horror poems and microfictions from the dark enchanted forest to the furthest reaches of cosmic space, from the collective memory of myth and story to monsters conjured from our own subconscious minds. These are the tales of the abyss. We invite you to gaze beyond the boundaries of reality and into the nightmare realms. Join us if you dare. My first question to you is, is it scary? Uh, well, it's it's scary 
in a uh, kind of spooky gothic kind of way. If you okay. think more of um, gothic horror like Edgar Allan Poe or um, Wuthering Heights or uh, Dracula, things like that, rather than, you know, monsters or slasher or things like that. It's not gory or anything mm-hmm. like that, but it's um, what they call gothic horror or atmospheric horror. That sounds like my photo shoots and kind of like what my house looks like right now. I feel like this could sort of be a light setting to like yeah. light goth, I guess. Oh. <laughs> I guess I call myself light goth, goth light. <laughs> now, why did you write a scary book? Um, well, it's it's an Edgar Allan Poe inspired book. The title mm-hmm. Into That Darkness Peering um, comes from The Raven. Uh, right. deep into that darkness peering um and all of the uh sections of the book are um all the sections of the book are titled after Edgar Allan Poe quotes as well um yeah. so uh the way it came about is that I was doing this project with Marika um a couple of years ago in October um you know there's Inktober for artists and mm-hmm. um I was part of a group that said um why should the uh, artists have all the uh spotlight in october we don't have any we got next month uh nanowrimo right yeah i i wrote five thousand words today or whatever i didn't write five thousand mm-hmm. words today it's not as interesting a post so the idea mm-hmm. was to uh team up with an artist and to um you know you you give them a series of 30 um you know prompts um either micro fictions or short poems or panel mm-hmm. descriptions or whatever and they illustrate one for every day in that style and um i had worked wow. with marika before on something and it very much fits her style um if i was doing a uh you know let's say i was doing a 50s like space opera theme i would you know right. maybe not do that with marika but if i was going to do a gothic horror which a lot of my poetry especially goes towards gothic horror then marika's the perfect artist for that gotcha yeah people seem to really like this edgar Allan poe guy that's a little that's a little um easter egg or allusion to larry david because he talks about jesus and, and they go wow people really seem mm-hmm. to like this jesus guy so I'll shout out edgar, larry david yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll, ta- I'll take edgar Allan poe <laughs> Okay, next question. Uh, Now, performers and writers often want the audience to experience specific feelings and or they want to trigger specific thoughts. What thoughts or feelings do you hope readers experience while reading Into That Darkness? Into That Darkness peering. Um, Well, we hope that, um, you know, you you get to deal with the the ideas in gothic horror. Um, Gothic horror accesses your subconscious. It accesses your darker um dream state type of a uh, thing it's very moody very atmospheric um if you think of Edgar Allan Poe a lot of it has to do with um the irrational over the rational mind the subconscious mind um if you mm-hmm. think of the uh the raven on the bus to palace for example palace athena represents the intellect she's the goddess of wisdom um and mm-hmm. the raven mm-hmm. from the uh Knight's Plutonian shore, like literally from the underground. He comes to him while he's nodding, nearly napping, right? Um, right. You know, so in this kind of liminal state between waking and sleeping, and that's the kind of thing, like like nightmare, um, subconscious, um, mm-hmm. your things that bubble up in the night when, when you're thinking, right. when you're lying in bed at night, kind of um, either almost dreaming or those kind of dreams you had before you fall asleep where you're not really sure if you're 
asleep mm-hmm. or awake, that, that kind of thing. That's why I stay really caffeinated and really awake. So I don't see anything scary. So I don't go into that, that little middle ground ever. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm in that middle ground all the time, <laughs> often writing jokes in that time and thinking of really scary things. So yeah, I get it. I relate, very relatable. All right. So now I find life to be pretty scary. I, for example, I love my dog, but she has the potential for violence. So I always have to be very careful and I have to watch her out. I have to watch her out around my favorite little girl, even my own dog. I'm a little afraid. So I feel this way around most people except weak little wimps. That's why I only date guys who don't work out. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But more on that later. Uh, what scares you? Um, I've always been scared, I would say, of the infinite. Um, if I think infinite. about, yeah, you think about things like if space is infinite, what is it expanding into? That kind of thought really scares me. Um, Interesting. What you know? Is there an end to forever? Um, that type of that type of thing. Those are the types of uh, questions that really uh, really yeah. scare me. So the fact that things could go on and on, and maybe no end to the universe, scares you. Well. Not not the fact that it could, but universe. whether it does, the uncertainty about it, whether it does or not, you know. And I find that, that comforting. Answer. Yeah, I find that comforting. Yeah, I find, uh, well, I find the fact that we're going to die comforting. So I guess I do find the finite comforting. Right. So so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Or maybe I'm just a mishmash, you know. But I like knowing that we're little specks of dust and something that can go on and on because, you know, it just takes the pressure away. Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe yeah. <laughs> for me, for yeah. me, it does. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, ah, where, who am I? Who cares? So now on your website, you wrote the Tao of writing. Please give us some great advice for any type of writing or macabre horror writing. Just any good advice for any type of writing that um, is on your I, I would say for writing in general and um, really for any creative work specifically is actually not to get bogged down in all of the advice. Um, mm-hmm. most of the advice is wrong or I shouldn't say wrong. Most of it is limiting. Right. And, right. um, be careful not to confuse trends mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, with rules. Um, right. So a lot of my writing is retro or, um, older, right. I'm writing these kind of 19th century style Gothic horror things. And mm-hmm. that might not be what's, on trend in poetry now people like free verse people like poems that don't rhyme people write you know Mm -hmm. don't really love meter um that much now but yet you know Edgar Allan Poe as we were talking about before continues to be popular right um Mm -hmm. there's something in there right people tell you eliminate all your adverbs for example that's that's horrible. Eliminate all your adverbs yeah yeah, all the modifiers when you write uh write directly so if something's Great. You could say it's ducking great yeah. like that. Yeah. Just make it great instead of ducking Just make great. It, yeah, because if you have to modify it, then not so much in dialogue, uh, but in descriptions. Or he said quickly, for example, like like she said, it's ducking great quickly or harshly or whatever, right? That the dialogue yeah. should be able to carry. And, you know, people like Ernest Hemingway said that. People like Stephen King say that. And they're great writers and they're successful writers. But if you read someone, say, like Salman Rushdie, who's a very successful mm-hmm. and well-respected writer, he uses adverbs all the time. So, you know, there are different ways to do things, and you have to find yeah. find your own path. You're saying the Tao of writing, a lot of it comes from 
my martial arts practice. And, um, you know, that article specifically was relating some of my martial arts practice with my writing practice. And um, one thing Bruce Lee said about advice, he said, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless, make Mm -hmm. from it what's truly your own. And yes, I follow yeah. that and think about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And and as teachers have pointed out, and, and I worked as a teacher for a long time, that you don't always know what's useful and useless, so that you should um, you know, be accepting and open minding of all mm. the all the advice. But you can't possibly follow it all because it contradicts with each other and that there are many different paths to success. Um, so as long as you have a model of someone, you know, if there's someone you can follow who sort of fits your style you say i would like to model my writing after that person Mm -hmm. i would like to model my creative career my writing career after this person or or my style of writing the the, whatever um as long as you can find someone who you or a group of people who you can take from take a little bit from each one Mm -hmm. you can find many different ways find your own way uh the the word Tao means uh way or, or path and, and right you're seeking for your own your own way so you'll find these lists of writing if you follow the same if you write like everybody else then your books are going to sound like everybody else there'll be nothing to differentiate them nothing personal yeah. them. so that that would be my advice not only to writers but to anybody who's working creatively yeah i find that for writing comedy or uh, really for the diet, I have a health guidebook. I pull from every people say, what's your book? Are you vegan? It's like, well, it's the best of vegan, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, keto. You take all these like opposing theories. And same for comedy too. I like to listen to different comedians that might hate each other's styles. And maybe I'll be influenced by a little and then I'll be a mishmash. So back to you, enough of me. What's some really bad advice for writing? I mean, following uh, rules too closely. That's yeah, follow, trying to follow every rule, like all these lists of like these eight rules, like whoever's these eight rules are writing, and whatever could work for them. You know, mm-hmm. there's Steinbeck's rules for writing, there's Hemingway, Stephen King, Neil Gaiman has a list, Kurt Vonnegut has a list, and they're, they're all great. And, and you're almost saying that it didn't work for them. But if you mm-hmm. try to be like everybody else, um, you're going to end up being like everybody else like yeah there's a point where it still has to be creative there's a point Mm -hmm. where it still has to be personal and um you there's such a thing as influence and there are things i used to tell my students when when i was you know i taught english in high school for a long time and when i taught english the cliche is there's no wrong answers and that's not true there are wrong answers but there are also many right answers and i feel like that the writing instruction the little cottage industry and writing instruction regardless of what genre you're in is very um narrow-minded right now it's very uh, a lot of group think going on right now um interesting and that if you seek a little bit beyond that um i mean and you should know all these things all the rules and trying to market what's marketable all those kinds of things but -hmm. you shouldn't be a slave to it right you shouldn't you know um, because for every example, and I do a series of this. I haven't done one in a while, but I do a series of blog posts uh, about various writing rules, and mm-hmm. um, the rules for a reason. And then I give you an example of a writer who breaks those rules. So I did the one about Salman Rushdie, and, and yeah, I saw that. I, I did one about alliteration, um, okay. and actually Edgar Allan Poe was 
featured in the alliteration one, but also Amanda Gorman, who's probably the most well-known poet right now. Um, and she uses alliteration. She has a poem about alliteration in her uh, latest book. Um, my next one I'm going to do is going to be about the three-act structure. There's nothing wrong with the three-act structure. But it's not the the beginning, middle, and end in your book, right? People say you need it. You need to plot your book beginning, middle, Uh, end. Um, uh. You know, Shakespeare wrote in five acts. Many of the most successful plays were two acts. Uh, Mm. The original Star Trek series was four acts. Um, Mm. There's a style of Japanese novel, and Matthew Salas' book uh, talks about um, the writing workshop the, the teaching of craft and um he's talking about decentralizing it and bringing in other cultures and having writers from other cultures. but he mentions the um a japanese form a long form like what would be equivalent to our novel which has four acts as well right there, there are and it's again there's nothing wrong with the three-act structure right. most tv shows now are on the three-act structure which is why people want to use it but there are also Mm. other ways of doing it right don't become um you know wedded to these things that are popular now just because you think that's what you have to do to be successful Um, there are other ways to be successful too as long as you keep an open mind and you know not that i can do whatever i want that's not what i'm saying is you have to you know you have to research it right maybe Mm -hmm. read gene roddenberry's uh guide to um writer's guide for star trek if you want to write a four-act structure um you know or study that japanese form which i can't remember the name of right now a four-act structure and maybe compare them see why are they both four acts what's the difference between writing a four-act work and a three-act you know Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but right now for example everybody wants to shoehorn everything into three acts regardless of whether it was written that way or not um and that's just one example so um you know do your research, um, but also come to your own conclusions, right? Research widely yeah. enough. Become knowledgeable enough in your field that you are able to have your own informed opinion rather than adopting whatever opinion is being put out there as the uh, right way to do things right now. Yeah. Yeah, don't get too stuck in the rules. I took one comedy class and the rule for the whole class, and I know it's just the building block, but it was a very strict rule. It was every joke should be topic, premise, punchline. And it's like, what did you learn from the comedy class? That I hate stand-up. Because <laughs> if stand-up has to be this, no. And some of the best comedians like Dave Chappelle, they don't follow that premise. So back to you and back to your book. Now the back cover of your book reads, Peer into the Darkness of Midnight. Now for me, I tend to feel a little spooky between 11.30, it starts, and then 12, it hits. to like 4.35, and I won't even sleep with my feet sticking out. But if I look at my clock and it says like 5.15 a.m., I'm like, hot, I'm going to stick my feet out. So what is it about this midnight hour that's so scary for people as opposed to 2 p.m.? Is there any truth to it that things change? I, I mean, I've heard all types of things, but I want your opinion on this one. I mean... I would say that it's largely cultural. It's a symbol that's uh, pervaded um, mm-hmm. at least Western culture. It's the symbolic middle of the night, even if it isn't the actual middle of the night, which changes by the season and how long or short the night is. But it's theoretically the middle of the night, the darkest time, the time when you can't sleep, right? And it's also 
you know, it's also the word. It's a nice word, midnight. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you, you got the alliterative midnight madness or midnight, you know, midnight moon or things like that. Yeah. Um, it just, there's something, there's a, there's connotations that the word develops throughout literature and through culture over time that mm-hmm. may be different if you come from a different culture, right? I mean, not all of these things work. They don't work universally, but if you're writing within a tradition, then, you know, using the aspects of that tradition, right? Especially in a book like this that mm-hmm. um, alludes back to uh, like Poe and Coleridge and, um, you know, these types of writers that um, there's just associations that we all have in it. It's, it's like a shorthand. Like I heard, mm-hmm. I heard um, Neil Gaiman talking about this in terms of children's books and um, you know, there's things we fill in. There's like little key posts that, that trigger something in our memory. And then when you go and reread it again as an adult, he'll, they'll, they'll say the forest was like dark and enchanted. And that's all it'll say in the children's book. But you, when you remember the story from when you were a kid, you're thinking mm-hmm. of all the stuff you imagined around that. And it's kind of the same thing. Like when you're a kid, you don't understand the concept of like two in the morning or three right. in the morning. What you understand right, right. is midnight. And right. Okay. You understand the middle of the night middle of the night, midnight, that type of thing. So you're thinking back to when you were scared in your room and having a nightmare and woke up in the middle of the night, whether it was at midnight or not, when you were thinking of it, you were thinking of it as midnight or middle middle of the night, which is the same. It's what midnight is, midnight, right? It's um, So Mm -hmm. it's just these, um, you know, it just associates the way the word connotes different things right just the denotation what the word means and the connotation all the things that you associate with the word and it's a word that has a lot of connotation in in our language and our culture and in in our stories um going back to childhood i would say yeah so basically you don't even have to write a book just throw the word midnight and our brains you know, will just fill just in a few the of rest, them right? you just gotta click off a few of those words you know I never, uh, yeah. put them in the right places um Meter is important, right? Um, especially for uh, some of these poems. I mean, not not as much. Rhythm is important in regardless of what kind of writing you're doing. But mm-hmm. uh, in Gothic poetry and in, in from the uh, Romantic capital R Romantic uh, tradition, that um, mm-hmm. the meter is very important. There's a flow to it, right? So a normal meter is. Um, a normal meter is iambic, is unstressed syllable, stressed syllable. Like if you think of a um, a sing-songy poem, like you would know as a child, right? Um, you take the Robert Frost poem, like whose woods these are, I think I know his house, right? And, and the way a kindergartner would recite or a third grader would recite mm-hmm. it. Um, when you reverse it and you have the uh, trochaic meter where you have the uh, stressed and then the unstressed, it sounds unnatural to us. So if you think about mm. that in terms of certain words that you use, so once upon a midnight dreary, once is stressed, uh, unstressed, pond stressed, um, as opposed to, you know, whose woods would be unstressed, stressed, they go stressed, mm. unstressed. So you think about midnight, mad, right? Midnight is a trochaic word. The mid is you don't say midnight, you say you say midnight, right? Midnight right. magic, right? And it's midnight moon, midnight madness, right? And it, it sort of, when you start to think about how the words go together, um, that's where you're 
able to uh, weave a spell, weave, weave a, a mood or an atmosphere, um, which gothic horror is always very atmospheric. Um, Interesting. This is good advice for uh, writing a stand-up act, too. That's, what, that's uh, where my mind's going you know, when you're thinking of this, Al- which Alan words Moore, to emphasize. Yeah. Alan Moore, um, who you know, who wrote The Watchmen and Viva Vendetta and a mm-hmm, bunch of other mm-hmm. things, he actually said comedy and horror operate on the similar principles. Um, on very yeah. similar principles in terms of subverting expectations and um, in terms of the jump scare right. being a lot like a punchline, you know, um, ah. that structurally they're very same. They're, they're similar. And I write a lot of comedic things too. I would say witty type of, um, you know, Terry Pratchett or Douglas Adams style uh, stories yeah. also. And when he said that, it just, you know, it's something clicked for me in terms of, both genres are, are actually very similar, even very though you wouldn't think about it. And I often think, you know, simply put, I'm, you know, I'm kind of dumbing myself down a little bit. Um, you know, horror movies are funny because a lot of horror movies are just so bad. You just got to laugh. But yeah. no, you make some very good points on that. So we're already over time, but I want to ask one question. So quick answer. Some people just make great writers and people love them. What are some characteristics of great writers that you found? Um, I would say, I mean, it, it really depends. You need to have you need to have an aspect that that speaks to people. For me, I connect with the writer's voice. I, I think there should be a consistent. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same voice in every work, but mm-hmm. there's you want to be drawn into the secondary world, the susp- suspension of disbelief, or the for similar mm-hmm. to this, this type of thing. So, if there's a consistent voice from the beginning of the work to the end of the work, and the spell then it's not broken, then the reader will be a lot more likely to buy what you're selling. Okay, interesting. So maybe like kind of don't break the fourth wall kind of thing? No, you can. Like, if that's part of if that's part of your the voice. If that's part that's of who it is. If that fits yeah. it, right? If you're if you're writing Deadpool and he breaks the fourth wall or you're you right. know or in the middle of a uh you know like a Monty Python type of thing where they'll Right. You know, or, but or, the wicked witch, yeah, you know, yeah, that's, you don't, it's kind you of off brand. Diff- you know, it depends. Mm-hmm. It needs to be appropriate for what you, you're doing. Everything should fit in because once you have, once you have that internal consistency, and you understand the voice, you understand the way your narrator talks or your characters mm-hmm. speak, um, then they really drive the action for you. Um, and as long as you can maintain that suspension of disbelief. Then, or as long as you keep the reader, if it's something like, you know, if it's something funny or if something right, keep the reader having fun moving it forward, right? It doesn't all have to be deep and dark and all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, but if you are doing it and then you make a complete turn that's not supported elsewhere in right. the work, um, that's when you start to lose people. Interesting. Very interesting. And before signing off, could you please tell our listeners your social media, where to find you, website? Yep. Okay. So first, Into That Darkness Peering, um, written by me, illustrated by Marika Brusianu. Uh, the book is available on Amazon in paperback and ebook and Kindle Unlimited for free if you subscribe to that service and on Lulu and hardcover. Um, the hardcover is not on Amazon. It's on Lulu. Um, you could find me pretty much everywhere as at the surreal Ari. Um, 
Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon, TikTok, whatever, whatever I'm on, I'm at the, at the Surreal Ari, um, or on my website, www.aarubin.com. I'm not on Mastodon. I got to look that up. Well, thank you so much, Ari. Uh, very well-spoken, very well-spoken, very interesting. Gave me a lot to think about. So thank you so much for that. And uh, I hope you enjoyed anyone listening. Oh, and yes. now back to more. It came from the radio. Ever wanted to enter the world of comics but didn't know where to start? Worry not, true believers. We at the Comic Book School may just have the answer to your questions. Created by comics veteran Buddy Scalera, the Comic Book School is a free online educational resource that helps rising creators learn the craft and business of making comics through resources like forums, interviews, publication opportunities, publisher guidelines, and step-by-step blog posts. For more info, please visit our site at www.comicbookschool.com. Be sure to join our forums and follow us on social media while you're there. We'll see you on the message boards. Hi, this is Sherilyn Fenn, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Hello, friends. This is Ranger Rob, and I'd like to talk to you about dog poop. That's right, dog poop. I invented Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags, a very large bag with handles. My bags support large and small dogs and smell like lemon. They are strong and affordable. You can find Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags at Amazon. They come in sheets or in rolls and come with a dispenser. Once you try Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags, you'll never want to go back. So come join us. Go to Amazon and try Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags today. I'm Nathan Booth from Ben and Apple TV, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. If you had any honor... You would listen to Sci-Fi.Radio, the sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. Kapla! Now, back to our show. So that about does it for this week on the Came From The Radio. Join us right here any week on this radio station. If you miss any part of this show, tough. go to our newly revised website, www.itcamefromradio.com. The archives will be up in a week or so. Check us out on such places as btd.radio, sci-fi.radio, IndieVolt.com, CentralOregonRadio.com. Check us out on our places such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube page, Twitter. And always follow the cost-benefit ratio. If the benefits outweigh the costs, do it. If the costs outweigh the benefits, don't do it. Or just Google, it came from the radio. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.